Tēnā koutou. Welcome to Te Heringa Waka Victoria University of Wellington's Distinguished Alumni Podcast Series. In this series, we've matched senior academics and distinguished alumni to discuss how they got to where they are now and what they think of current issues. This podcast features Professor Yvette Tinsley from the Faculty of Law and distinguished alumna Stacey Shortall. Stacey is a partner at Minter Allison Rudd Watts and has done a lot of pro bono work and social responsibility work in our community. After completing her LLB and BCom here at Tehiringa Waka, she undertook an LLM at Alberta. She went from there to New York, where she worked as a litigator and began her journey with pro bono work with women in prison, refugee women, and family violence victims. Her professional accolades include being named in many of the law who's who lists, and she was New Zealand Dispute Star of the Year in 2018. She's a Blake leader, a Woman of Influence award winner, and a KiwiBank local hero. She founded the Who Did You Help Today Charitable Trust, and she's also a busy mother and sports enthusiast. Thank you so much, Stacey, for taking the time to talk to us today. Kia ora, Yvette. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. So I guess we'll start from right from the beginning. What drew you to doing law in the first place? I was um, drawn by teachers, <laughs> really. I didn't know lawyers. Uh, my family uh, are farmers from the mighty Manawatu, and I was the uh, first in my family to get to pursue law as a, a study and then subsequently as a career. And it was a primary school teacher and then a particular teacher at secondary school who said to me maybe law was something that I should consider and spoke to my parents about that. And I still remember actually coming for the open day and getting a sense of what the law program would be like. And it was very much a, um, a step into the darkness and unknown mm. for us as a whanau at the time, but it proved to be something that I subsequently enjoyed. I suspect those teachers would say the reasons why they suggested it was because I had a a strong sense of justice and fairness as a child and that had been instilled in me by my parents as well. I also quite enjoyed speaking and advocating a point and I know that not everyone finds that easy and I was um, lucky enough to uh, find that experience of public speaking not as challenging as some people might find it. So it was just a natural evolution, I guess. So to come back to your original question, people drew me to law mm. as opposed to it being something myself. And I've reflected on that as I've been longer in the profession, that there are many young people in our communities around the country who may not even think about law as a potential line of study because no one in their whānau has done that or there's no one in their immediate realm of existence who works as a lawyer or who knows lawyers. And that's where teachers and other individuals individuals that you can encounter mm. through life can be a really good conduit to have you thinking differently about career options. And you talked about it really being kind of this step into the unknown when you came to university being first in family. Do you think coming from that background of not having a history of university study has that influenced the kinds of things you want to do with the kind of power that comes really from being a successful lawyer, the skills that you've got, the way that you can go through and make connections and contacts? Has that really worked in terms of your 
your work with the community. Has, do you think it's influenced that? Well, I think it gives you a perspective. <laughs> it gives me one. Mm. I should talk in the first person. When you, you know, are the first, it wasn't just the first to go to university, it was the first to live in Wellington, <laughs> the first yeah. to, I'm the eldest uh, in my whānau, the first to leave home. And my parents, who had not had the same opportunity to pursue further education as I and my siblings have, have all had, they were very, very encouraging, but it must have been extremely difficult <laughs> for them yeah. with the benefit of hindsight. And now I think about that in relation to my own children. You know, they they made it seem effortless, but it would not have been for them. And there were financial issues around that too. I, I worked uh, full-time through university the whole way. And I think now with the type of work that I've been involved in and the types of things that I choose to speak at or attend, uh, I have a real eye towards, well, are there people in these rooms, in these communities who potentially may not see law or working as a lawyer as something that they could do and I just like to remind them that I mean if I can do it anyone can do it frankly and it's a lot about just having a go and trusting that for myself at least if it didn't work out I had a really strong solid Fano foundation to mm. return to and that that is a privilege not everyone has that but it made it a pretty safe step into the unknown for me. I think that message that you're coming through with of give it a go it can be for you. It's not just for the people who have got this history of law in the family. You can come through and be successful. Yes, and I think you you can also come through and bring a perspective totally. that others don't have, and that's very important. I think lawyers, for good or for bad, you know, are very influential in our broader communities. Lawyers often end up in a range of different roles and can be perceived as people who can speak on issues or contribute in written ways around issues because our craft uh, harnesses those types of skills and develops them. So lawyers can become influential far beyond just their professional lives and in, in many different myriads mm. of ways and communities. And using that influence in, in a good way, in a way that reflects the broader community, that brings perspectives from whānau and uh, communities that aren't steeped in not only the, the legal um, fraternity, but just perhaps commercial or business. I think just having that voice and knowing that your voice can perhaps help others advance is really important. So if you perhaps at times feel you can't do it for yourself, think about the other people that you could potentially do it for. So when you were thinking about the other people that you could do it for, mm. when you were there in New York, a litigator, top of your game, you made that decision, I'm now going to use this influence, I'm going to do something for those in my community who need that help. And you seem to have made some quite conscious choices about the kinds of groups that you got involved in at that point. So you were working with refugee women, victims of family violence, women in prison. So there is a little bit of a theme there. And I'm just quite interested to hear from you. Was there a particular reason why you made that choice? Was there something that really did impact you about what was going on for those groups of women? I had the uh, fortune of working at a firm, Paul Weiss, Rifkin, Wharton and Garrison in, in New York City that uh, has a long history in the pro bono space and a true commitment, enduring commitment <laughs> even now, um, to it, uh, working on a range of different issues and enabled 
lawyers to really pick up whatever pro bono work they wanted to run with alongside you know a large slug of fee paying work don't get me wrong there were <laughs> lots of expectations there but uh, I really was drawn initially to work that I thought would give me a different perspective on the city. I, I arrived in New York. I didn't really know anyone. I, I knew sort of people, a couple of New Zealanders through um, more distant connections. Arrived in a firm that didn't have other New Zealanders or other foreigners, you know, filled, wow. filled with New Yorkers. And I was living in an apartment that I had rented, which was sort of a first time I pre- prior to leaving uh, Wellington to go over. I had was renting sort of a converted shed at the back of a flat in High Taitai, Wellington. So this was kind of quite a move into a new not only a new city, but a new way of living and a degree of affluence that I hadn't had before, which took a little bit of time to accumulate. I was on a camper bed in that apartment, I think, for the first four or five months. (laughs) Uh, But I realised I was getting quite a narrow view of the city, and New York is a great environment in that just by virtue of its size, which is small, and a lot of people, everyone's on top of each other. You you ride the subways, you're on the streets, and you Mm. can really sort of see the spectrum of social issues that pervade any community, but they're almost sort of forced on you in that environment. So Mm. I could see it, but I wasn't experiencing it through my working life. So I was drawn initially to work on matters that would enable me to see some of the challenges that in particular African-American communities were facing. So that meant I started working on some projects in Harlem and it just happened to be that a number of those projects were around women who were struggling with interactions not only with um, the criminal justice system but with the family court system and you know once I started working there then it quickly grew to refugee woman woman who had experiences with violence and their children and that sort of led to working in the prisons with women who had those experiences so it was a conscious decision initially to broaden my view of what was happening in the city then it grew organically (laughs) I don't ever think I made sort of a conscious decision it was just I started doing that work I got known for doing that work and then I would hear about something else or someone would approach me and I'd sort of volunteer some time in and it just you know it just grew that way and I think as soon as I started spending time on behalf of women and you know the family court in New York, mm. then you know just it naturally grew from Manhattan. I was sort of doing that work in, in the Bronx and in Brooklyn. It, it it grew organically. So when it was time to come back to New Zealand, you'd been busy and growing that part of your working life, really. Yes. yes. Was that something that you looked for to be able to have the opportunity to do that? when you came back? You know, it's interesting. At the time, when I was in New York, I don't think I ever sort of stood back and thought about all of the pro bono work I had done mm-hmm. because uh, Paul Wise was great and that, that work was recognised just the way as my fee-paying work was. So it was it was work. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I think there's some really strong lessons in that around how that firm approached it and how I felt about it as, as a lawyer at the firm. And I saw the power that being a Paul Weiss lawyer working in the family courts and in, in the immigration courts, spending time in the women's and at times in the men's prisons, like I got to bring not only myself but you know the leverage and power of a large firm with me, mm. which was relevant. And I'll come to you yeah. answering your question about coming back home. But I hadn't really stood back and thought, I've done all of all of this stuff it, because it just it, it organically grew. I had spent some time in Africa. I took a short sabbatical and had some, spent some time as a volunteer lawyer there as well and came back back 
to Hawaii and to New York and was really thinking, okay, what am I going to do when I grow up? Am I staying here or do I want to come home? And there were very strong pulls home. Um, my whānau was here in, in New Zealand, but also I felt that I was contributing in ways in the New York community and trying to work with vulnerable women who otherwise weren't, in my view at least, getting full access to, mm. to justice and their children who were impacted by that. And at the same time, because I stayed connected into New Zealand, I was reading, being told about uh, incidents here, the Kahui twins um, scenario in particular sort of stayed with me. So, you know, just the the very endemic nature of family violence in New Zealand and how that was manifesting in in the death of uh, non-accidental death of of young children and the lives of many women and and some men too who Mm. were impacted by that. So I started thinking, well, I've done all this stuff offshore. Maybe some of that could be relevant to work in Aotearoa, New Zealand. So so back to to that idea that you come into the law, as you said before, not just to do things for yourself, Mm. but also what impact can I have on my community? So you were there starting to think about, well, New York's great, I've made it my home, but it's a temporary home. What can I do for my community back home? Was that part of... I think so, but, you know, it's challenging. There's a tension in that too. I've always struggled, uh, well, not struggled, but um, sought to weigh not having the solution all the time. You know, I've been very Mm. self-aware that I have a certain perspective. I am, you know, I am a a, a child of a farming community in the rural Manawatu. I'm Pākehā. I have a certain worldview that has been shaped by my experience, but it's quite a different lived experience than at least some of the women, children and whānau that experience um, violence and and other types of vulnerability in New Zealand. So, and I think there is always this, and there needs to be this tension between having ideas on how you might be helpful and actually being helpful and not arriving with a solution don't mm. frankly be patronizing and turn up and think this is this is how I can help fix this so yes I wanted to have an impact but I really wanted to see what the need was and just be available to help and let that help be shaped by the people who are going to receive it and I agree that's a believer in that yeah such an important point because what is not needed is someone coming and flying up from above and saying I know what you that's want exactly and what you right need. yeah that's exactly and it's, that, yes. it's more the offer of I've got these skills are they going to be useful yeah yeah or just actually being there just sort of just sort of being present and and listening for a long time even today I'm I'm often invited to talk on issues around social justice or or violence and I am sometimes reluctant and hesitant because my voice shouldn't be the voice that people are listening to on those Mm. issues you know I have had the good fortune in my life I'm not a victim of violence and I hope never to be and I potentially have means at my disposal that will protect me from some of that so for people to truly understand those issues they actually need to hear from people who have lived that that experience so when I thought about coming back to New Zealand then I was reflecting on what I was hearing but I wasn't quite sure how I would potentially help and Mm. I spent the first period coming back home reading a lot of coronial reports around non-accidental deaths of children under the age of three in New Zealand I was just trying to understand what was going on on that yeah. issue, reading what was happening in our women's prisons because my return sort of coincided with an escalating um, rate of, of growth in, mm. in our female prison population and reflecting on what I thought had happened in the 11-odd years since I'd been away where there was a, certainly uh, a lot of multiculturalism in New Zealand, more of that. There was a greater recognition of te ao Māori and te reo and tikanga and you could see a, a broader cross-section of people from different backgrounds. 
But New Zealand felt to me, and this was perhaps impacted by New, Ze- uh, New York, where everyone lives on top of each other, it felt quite compartmentalised. Yeah. So, you know, um, people were living in communities that were largely Māori, largely Pacifica, um, uh, largely Asian, largely Pālangi, Pākehā, European, New Zealanders. And those opportunities to coordinate and connect across those lines felt a little bit more um, limited than mm-hmm. I had remembered, perhaps with a degree of utopia when you're younger, I don't know, <laughs> but than I remembered. So when I came back, I sort of was just absorbing that and thought, well, given what I've been involved in before how could I potentially start doing just some small things and see where where they lead to and that's where a couple of the initiatives from Who Did You Help Today started up working in the women's prison and just working with some other folks from my law firm in a low DSL primary school just being available just to support kids learn from kids from a different community around what was important and going on for them and let them perhaps see and the Afano um, communities see people from a legal environment and they might mm. start thinking differently about it. But through a true one of the things I had learned from working in New York in the pro bono space and in Africa and, and other things I've been involved in, that reciprocity needs to be part of it. You cannot go in, I'm a lawyer, I'm, I'm going to help. I have help. been as helped by all of the pro bono work that, that I've been involved in as help I've given. I mean, my perspectives and views on things have been brought broadened and widened and enriched by those experiences. I always say this to clients who perhaps will say to me, you know, thank you for all you've done. Thank you, because actually I would not have known about many of the things that, not all of them are great things to know about our country, but I know them notwithstanding, but I wouldn't have known them had I not been able to interact with someone as a result of that work. And a lot of what you're saying to me speaks to your real respect for the communities that you're working with Mm. and your ability to be able to see that them being empowered is the thing that's really important too. Um, It's not about you coming in as some kind of saviour. No, 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 no. This is about enabling empowerment where you can and listening and truly listening is what you're is what you're yeah and being very careful with language around Mm. that you know no one wants to be saved no I I really strongly believe that no one no one wants to be in that position Um, people begrudgingly at times may wish to be helped you know so you've just got to be very careful around how with pro bono work or other types of volunteering or contribution how that is presented and it has to be really around, you know, I can learn from you too. And I think it, somewhere in that humility around it, mm. then you can find a degree of common ground and you can move forward and just, you know, never speak for the community that you're not part of. Mm. And I strongly believe that much of what the work that I've been involved in, where it has had the greatest degree of impact on me and on the community, has been around just restoring the dignity of someone actually listening to them, enabling them to feel that they can be part of what's happening around them instead of just being hit with it. They understand it and can contribute. And that's actually just about building someone up, not standing in their shoes or even standing alongside them. Just stand behind them and so that they know you're a backstop. Because they're not people who actually need saving, are they? They're people who just want support. Yes, You've talked a little bit about the Who Did You Help Today and your homework club work as well. And you've also got Our Words Matter that you've been involved in. What kinds of impacts do you think you've seen happening because of those initiatives? So you've talked a little bit about how it's really helped you and it's given you a lot. 
What has it done for those communities, do you think? Mm. What have those initiatives done? Yeah, so Who Did You Help Today has, um, which is a charitable trust, I'm the founding trustee, and we've got two other great trustees, Sarah Patterson and Rochelle Sutton, has three initiatives that sit under it. One being Homework Club, one being Mother's Project, and one being Help Tank. And they are essentially projects that I had been involved in and then sort of brought under a charitable trust umbrella uh, several years ago. So Homework Club, which started in Wellington with mm. my, at my firm, Minter Allison Rudd Watts, partnering with the wonderful Holy Family School out in, in East Porirua and having a carload of volunteers going into that school one afternoon a week just to support kids with their learning and, and, and mm. learn from kids. So we started that over six years ago. That was the pilot. And since then, there have been over 25 homework clubs set up around the country, impacted a bit by COVID in the last 18 months, but some of which still are still operating as homework clubs, but others that have been supported through where schools have needed help with food or activity Mm. packs, other sort of connections. So that has involved schools being partnered with a local business, law firm, a university, police college, like a whole range of different wonderful support partners have stepped in and provided those volunteers. And it has meant that thousands of kids have had an opportunity every week to interact with someone outside of their immediate community who's really wants to support their learning journey and wants to learn from them. And just created connections and networks and and shared understandings around um, matters. So I think the impact of that project has just been more people (laughs) connecting with each other and hopefully students feeling more supported in their learning. And we hear that from schools, that there has been some positive impact uh, of that. Although I don't know whether that's our volunteers or just, you know, there's some amazing teachers that sit in our low decile primary schools yeah, around there the are country some that awesome are really teachers. incredible, um, incredible work happening there. And also I think for those support organisations, perhaps getting a perspective on diversity and what mm. that might look and inclusion, what that might look like and how do you build a pipeline of people into your environment that may look and represent something different than what you have now. Mother's Project started with again, to some volunteer lawyers from Minter Allison going into Auckland Women's Prison once a month just to help mums with questions around their kids and has grown over the last five years to now be in all of the women's prisons in New Zealand and we've had more than 250 female volunteer lawyers around the country that volunteered into the project more than I think 780 mums to thousands and thousands and thousands of children have participated in the project and that has enabled I think more women inside the wire to have the ability to connect meaningfully and appropriately with their children and for those children to know that mum notwithstanding that she's not there still loves and wants what's best for her and a lot of that impact has been around ensuring that people understand how in particular the family court system um, legal system uh, works and hopefully improving some social outcomes (laughs) for kids and and encouraging mums to stay outside the wire and then Help Tank which is an online digital platform that enables not-for-profits and community causes and schools and we've got a very broad view on on uh, anyone who's making a difference in the community can post a project looking for a volunteer to help them with lots of 
corporate volunteering days, uh, organisations are looking for ways for their mm. people to contribute into the community. So just like you can go and book a batch or trade me and you can um, find matches, Help Tank um, enables you to search by, well, what am I interested in? What can I do? Where do I live? Or can I do something virtually? And you can filter projects that are listed by about 450 different community organisations and thousands of Kiwis have contributed their time through those through Help Tank. So through the lens of who did you help today, just tens of thousands of New Zealanders yeah. have helped or, or been helped and, and I think it's that should be and not an or, you know, just yeah. building connections and, and greater network. And those projects, you know, continue on and will keep growing, I think. Our words matter is it's quite a different initiative, and I mm. set that up a couple of years ago, really off the back of you know the the tragedy, the mosque tragedy in in Christchurch, and that was an initiative where I'd always. I quite enjoy writing on issues and had done that um, for some time and started thinking about well, whose words get heard around things. Mm. There's all these issues that are pervasive in New Zealand, not only in family violence or perhaps around uh, racial equality or just racial understanding, but poverty and just general equity, um, health, you know, all of these um, uh, issues. What about just creating a platform that enabled people to contribute their thoughts and ideas and open sourcing that and people can, can mm. read or do whatever they want with it. And so that's what our words matter yeah, and it's does, great. and it just lets people contribute. It's been really good, just we've had people contributing who ordinarily would not, mm. and you know, they're not engaging with mainstream media quite the same. And they really they have thoughtful perspectives on a whole range of issues. And things get, I mean, I wrote a piece during the lockdown around you know how lockdowns, even though we're all experiencing it, is affecting us very, very differently mm. depending on our circumstances. And, you know, so just tens of thousands, like I saw this, over 60,000 people sort of picked that up and read that. So there is a desire, I think, for different perspectives and voices. And it, that's what it's intended to be. Not not my voice, but it's a platform for as many people who want to contribute. Maybe someone who listens to this might decide exactly. to. Exactly. <laughs> and I think it's, um, it's such an important and interesting place to see those different perspectives as well. And I was one of those people that picked up on that piece that you wrote and mm thoroughly enjoyed it and it really did make me think you've talked quite a bit as you've described some of those projects about the involvement of your firm yes now you're a partner there and you know you've been doing that for quite a while have you been influencing that idea that ethos that you saw in that firm in New York for you is that what you're doing there at, at Minter Ellison yes I think Minter Ellison Rudd Watts the reason I came back to that firm I'd started out at Rudd Watts and Stone mm. the predecessor firm before I went to New York I had a couple of years there and when I came back, I decided to go back to that firm because I knew there was a strong pro bono commitment. The mm. firm has been involved in a myriad of different issues for a, for a long time through the community law centres and, and other other initiatives. So I knew that it would be a place that I could continue to do that work, and that's proved to be the case. And there are lots of people within the firm, and now both our Auckland and Wellington offices, who provide pro bono support um, to lots of different causes. So it hasn't been... Uh, I've been involved in it and perhaps through Who Did You Help Today there have been particular projects that the firm has really come alongside and, and had lawyers involved in and non-legal staff too of mm. course but you know, it, it's been easy because it's a firm that values that contribution already but I do think that's where what, one thing that's come through Mother's Project is 
we've had, as I mentioned earlier, like 250-odd lawyers, female lawyers, and, and other lawyers who have not been necessarily volunteer going in and out of the prisons but have helped in other ways yeah. on the project. We have other things such as a storybook project where mums can read books to kids and we take those recordings and we send the book and the recording to children. So there are non-legal parts of that, um, that project. But those lawyers have come from you know over 30 different firms and organisations. So that says to me there's lots of places that want to get in behind contributing. And in many ways what they need is just easy uh, platforms <laughs> to enable that to happen, which is what I have tried to do with the Who Did You Help Today initiative, make that very easy for people to step in and, and find a way to contribute into the community. Yeah, and you know, in a time where there's been a lot of bad press for law firms, it's really great to hear that so many of them are wanting to get involved in those community projects. You know, Stacey, a lot of people want to do something, a lot of people think about doing something. You're someone who doesn't just think, oh, I want to do that, maybe I could do that. You've actually gone ahead and you've grabbed initiatives, you've started them, you've pushed ahead. And I really am thankful that we've got people like you in our community who have got that energy and enthusiasm to go ahead and do that because you're making a real difference and your projects are making a real difference. So I know you've been very careful to say today that this is not about you doing mm. this or, or, you know, and very careful to say how much you get out of it. And I'm sure that's true. But from my perspective as a member of the New Zealand community, I'm really thankful that we've got people like you, you who have the energy <laughs> to to put that all in place so thank you very much i've thoroughly enjoyed our talk today thank you for listening that's wonderful thank you thank you stacy to stay up to date with our latest podcasts subscribe using your preferred podcast provider thank you to Tekoki school of music alumni stephen Patton and kenyon shanky for the use of their music from Te Heringa Waka, Victoria University of Wellington, Haere Rā.